There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. The title of this episode of Revealing the True Light is Meditation Investigation. We're going to investigate this thing called meditation. Are there wrong methods? Are there right methods? How do they compare to each other? This is a subject that is very important. We're going to be examining meditation practices found both in Christianity and in other religious groups. Almost all religions teach some kind of unique method of meditation. However, not all are acceptable to God or pleasing to God. Now, I'm about to make a statement I will probably repeat. If meditation techniques are mechanical, mindless, monotonous, monotone, mundane, magical, or even overly mystical, they are probably not the proper approach. Why? Because true biblical meditation is relational. Let me say that again. True biblical meditation is relational. It is the simple overflow of sincere, loving communion between the Heavenly Father and His sons and daughters. It is a heart-to-heart connection with God. If meditation methods are mysterious, they are probably spurious. False attempts at penetrating the realm of the unknown, because quite often they are based on a false interpretation of the nature of ultimate reality. The idea that the absolute is just a cosmic level of consciousness, an impersonal life force requiring some kind of mysterious occult formula, some incantation or invocation that is only shared with a few initiates in order to access that supernatural realm. Yes, if a meditation technique is weird, it should probably be feared in a healthy kind of way. In 1970, I was studying kundalini yoga under a man named Yogi Bhajan. I spent about 14 hours a day, every day, in solitude. And much of that time was devoted to some kind of meditation practice. I was desperate, and I recognized that many who are involved in meditation and yoga and other practices are seeking for a better life, a connection with the divine. I respect that. They're seeking for a higher way of living, something beyond the material world, something beyond sensuality and natural things that are going to pass into dust and are only temporal. 
So I understand that many who delve into various practices are exploring the unknown, desperate to find answers that will bring completion and fulfillment spiritually in their lives. But we must analyze the methodology that is used. I heard years ago that those who are trained to spot counterfeit money spend most of their time studying the details of real money. That way, they can quickly and automatically spot the counterfeit. So let's start this program, this episode of Revealing the True Light with real and true biblical meditation. Remember, Christian meditation is God-centered, Christ-centered, and not self-centered. Meditation within the ranks of those who are studying Eastern religions is usually self-centered because it is an attempt to achieve self-realization, self-awareness, an awareness or a realization that the Atman, the soul, is actually Brahman, the oversoul, that you are God. And so the purpose of meditation is to achieve that kind of divine consciousness. And it's based on what I believe now is a false interpretation of the nature of God. The biblically-based revelation of God is that he is a triune being, a personal God, not an impersonal force. And the Godhead is comprised of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one God. And you can have a personal relationship with that God. So meditation is not an attempt to achieve that relationship, but meditation is based on a relationship that is already established, and you're seeking to enrich that relationship through the process of meditation. Let's start biblically with two prayers that use the word meditation, both found in the Psalms. Psalm 19, verse 14, the psalmist says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And then in Psalm 104, verses 33 and 34, the psalmist says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. The complete Jewish Bible says, may my musings be pleasing to him. The original Hebrew being translated into the word musings instead of meditation. Did you hear those words associated with meditation? In Psalm 19, the plea that meditation be acceptable in the sight of God. In Psalm 104, the prayer that meditation be sweet to him. And the complete Jewish Bible, that it be pleasing to him, acceptable and sweet and pleasing. None of those words would be used if a mantra was chanted for an hour. That wouldn't be sweet. That would be boring. That would be absolutely monotonous. 
Would it be sweet to you if your husband or your wife chanted the words, I love you, in a mechanical, monotone way for an hour or two hours, hundreds of times, over and over? Would you be delighted to sit in the room while that goes on? Or would you exit the room after a couple of minutes and call the local psychiatric hospital? If it would be unacceptable, distasteful, or displeasing to you, don't you think that God feels the same way? What are musings? Musings are thoughtful ponderings. It means to ruminate, just like a cow chews the cud and it swallows the food, the grass or whatever it may be chewing on, and then it brings it back up from one's stomach to chew it again, and then possibly does it again, over and over, chewing the same thing to get maximum nourishment out of it. That's what meditation is supposed to be. It's like rumination. It's like the cow chewing the cud getting all the nourishment spiritually out of a particular thought, a particular passage of the Bible, a particular insight that God gives you. You just dwell on it. You ponder it. You prayerfully explore it. You present it to God and ask the Holy Spirit to give you further insight or further revelation. It's so much different than the approach I used as a yoga teacher, which I will go into a little bit later. And of course, that was 50 years ago, back in 1970, when I taught Kundalini Yoga at four universities and I ran a yoga ashram. And I was one of the first teachers of Kundalini Yoga under Yogi Bhajan on the East Coast. And then I had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that just transformed me radically and transformed my doctrinal base. Now, one of the best passages of Scripture that deals with the idea of meditation was spoken by God himself to Joshua, the one who took over the leadership in Israel after Moses was taken on to heaven. And to Joshua, God said these words, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Notice God did not tell Joshua he had to assume some kind of physical position that was necessary for proper energy flow in his body so that meditation could achieve a maximum amount of effect in his life. God never told him he had to hold his hands in a certain way in order to form a mudra or a symbolic gesture that would allow him to penetrate the spiritual realm more effectively. God just said this book of the law, which is a reference to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. God said this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night. And so that not only means sharing it with others, but reading it out loud to yourself. Sometimes reading the scripture out loud is very effective because the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you when you're reading and 
that spirit of wisdom and revelation within you, if you're a born-again Christian and the Spirit of God lives within you, enables you to gain greater understanding of a passage of Scripture. So possibly God was speaking about not only sharing it with others, but reading it to himself. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Day and night. All day long. All night long. He's not talking about withdrawing in his tent and sitting motionless in an erect position, in the lotus position, and meditating on that book and then not involving himself in his leadership capacity at all. God was talking about in all of his human relationships, in all of his endeavors, all day long to be monitoring his attitudes and making sure they're in alignment with the word of God. And that was the only word available at that time. Now we have 66 books, the entirety of the Bible, and we should constantly be aligning our hearts, our emotions, and aligning our minds, our thoughts with the Word of God to make sure that we're walking in a pleasing way before Him, not in a self-condemning way, not in an anxious way, not in a tense way, but in a loving and a relational way, making sure that we're walking as Jesus would have us to walk and talking as he would have us to talk and loving and living as he would have us to love and to live. And then he said, if you will do this, God told Joshua, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Success in life is based on the foundation of the word of God being the controlling thing that orders your conversations, your actions, your goals in life, and everything you do. Almost all exhortations to meditation in the Bible involve God's Word. Let me read a few more to you. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And again, you don't have to assume a physical position that is correct for meditation. When you're walking from one place to another, when you're hoeing a field, when you're nailing a board, when you're involved in your day-to-day -day labors, you're meditating on God's Word. Psalm 119 verse 48 says, My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. Psalm 119, verse 148, my eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. So when you're laying there in bed at night, you're calming your mind and you're thinking about the scriptures, the promises of God, the revelation in various stories and parables to be found in the word of God. Because as you dwell on that, it's not a process of emptying your mind but prayerfully filling your mind. There's a huge difference between the two. And even when you're preparing yourself for sleep, laying there in the bed, it's a good time to meditate. Psalm 119 verse 99 says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And the Hebrew word translated meditation there is sikal, which means reflection. In other words, 
I reflect on the testimony of Scripture, what God has said in his word, what God spoke in various situations from Mount Sinai when he walked in a bodily form on the earth in the form of his son, all the testimonies of the revelation of the nature of God and the expectations of God for people should be something I reflect on constantly. But you can also meditate on God's work and God's nature. Psalm 119 verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts, so shall I meditate on your wonderful works. How do you do that? Is there some kind of mystical formula? Do you have to approach it with the right kind of language so that you can somehow maneuver your way into a place where you can receive visions and visitation. No, it's not that mechanical. You don't manipulate God with certain esoteric methods in order to, in a sense, coerce God into giving you the supernatural experiences you want. They come at the will of God. They come in God's timing, at the precise moment when God knows they will be most beneficial to you, and when God wants to express his heart towards you that way. Again, it's relational. It's not something that is conditional upon certain mystical practices that you enter into. Sometimes God can speak to you in the most profound ways when you're driving your car, I know people who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues when they were driving. And yet this intense, ecstatic joy filled the car because they were meditating on the relationship they had with God as they drove from one place to another. And God just invaded that space with his glory and in an unexpected way manifested himself. So we should be meditating on his wonderful works in our own lives. Personally, I do quite often. Both of my children are miracles. My son would be a toe walker to this day if God had not healed him instantly. The tendons in the back of his feet were too short, and he never walked without toe walking. And then we prayed over him about 20 minutes one day, several ministers along with me. We sought God in his behalf, put him down on the floor, and he immediately started walking flat-footed and has walked flat-footed ever since. And an orthopedic surgeon told me there was no hope for him unless they performed an operation that had a 50% chance of success. Think of that. He said he could be crippled the rest of his life or it may help him. I meditate on that work. That was a wonderful work. The day God answered my prayer and recreated my son's tendons in the back of his feet. My daughter, the doctor told us that we should abort her because he claimed she had spina bifida and cretinism. And as we walked out of his office, never intending to return because we didn't want to be around that kind of mindset, God spoke audibly to my wife and said, your daughter will dance on the streets of Jerusalem. And for the next four months, we prayed certain prayers over her, like Psalm 138, verse 8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. And we'd say, Lord, this little girl concerns us. So we believe you're going to make her perfect. And when she was born, she was born perfect. And later on, about three or four years old, she showed a natural proclivity to dance. 
Oh, I love to meditate on that wonderful work and all the other times God has intervened in my life in supernatural ways and uh, the testimony of God's personal involvement in my life is something that occupies my mind day and night. That's meditating on his wonderful work. Sometimes while I'm in prayer, I do visit those times and I thank God. I express gratitude, but it's relational. It's not mystical. It's not esoteric. Let me repeat the statement I made at the beginning. If meditation techniques are mechanical, mindless, monotonous, monotone, mundane, magical, or even overly mystical, they are probably not the right or proper approach. I think you're getting what I'm trying to communicate. Another great scripture is Psalm 145, verse 5, where the psalmist said, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. So there, he's not only meditating on what God has done, but he's meditating on who God is and the splendor that certainly must surround him in the realm of paradise. When I pray, I love to meditate on the names of the Lord. For instance, his name is Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace. And I quietly in my mind meditate on what Shalom really means. That it means more than just tranquility of mind. It means health and wholeness in every part of your being. And then I'll meditate on his name, Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness and the miracle of imparted righteousness that came through identifying with Jesus on the cross as the propitiation for my sins. I meditate on the name El Shaddai, which means the Almighty God. And some have interpreted it to mean the God who is more than enough. And I dwell on those names and others like Yahweh Imkadesh, the God who sanctifies me, or Yahweh Rea, the Lord my shepherd, Yahweh Rapha, the Lord my healer, or the name above all names, Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus the Messiah, and his name Jesus means salvation. And I love to meditate on that name because it just gives me faith to believe for salvation in every area of my life. And so when I meditate on the glorious splendor of his majesty, according to Psalm 145, verse 5, one of the ways I do that is to dwell on his names, praising his names, worshiping his names, not in a monotone voice that doesn't work when you're communicating with other human beings, and it certainly doesn't work when you're communicating with the Almighty God. And I meditate on his wondrous works. I love for instance, to walk outside on a starlit night and look up at the cosmos and see the immensity of a universe that is filled with, they say, a hundred million billion star systems and the Milky Way itself, our particular galaxy, is filled with hundreds of millions of stars and planets. And wow, I just look up at the immensity of the universe and I declare as Psalm 19 says, that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. By staring into a starlit sky, I'm really gazing into the greatness of God. 
That's meditation. I don't have to be sitting cross-legged. I don't have to have my forefinger curled around and touching my thumb in the Guyana mudra, which represents something I don't want because the forefinger represents the individual soul, the Atman in Hinduism, and the thumb represents the oversoul, Brahman. And when you curl the finger around to touch the thumb, that's a meditative statement that you want to be one with Brahman. And Brahman is a false god, a false interpretation of the nature of God. Brahman is an impersonal life force that you do not pray to. It is something you meditate on. It's the life force in all the universe. No, I don't want to be one with a life force that is impersonal. I want to be one with a personal God, my heavenly Father. So I'm not going to use some mystical hand symbol in approaching him. He wouldn't be moved by that anyway. He wouldn't be impressed by that. He likes that which is spontaneous and heartfelt and emotion-filled. Often I lift my hands to him in prayer and praise, but I don't have to have it in a certain position in order to connect with the proper energy. All of that is too mystical. It's just too way out. It's not the way it works. So if something is really strange or arcane or esoteric, it's probably not the way you approach God. In fact, the first time that meditation is mentioned in the Bible is Genesis 24, verse 63. It says that Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. And it was Abraham's servant, Eliezer, coming back with Rebekah, who was to be Isaac's bride. So all it said was that he went out to meditate in the field in the evening. If the physical position of the body was important, then God would have certainly put into that passage of Scripture that he found a good firm place in the field where he could sit cross-legged and where he could sit erect so that the kundalini power could rise up through his spine and he could be awakened to God consciousness, which is all an absolutely false approach. That's not how it works. It's not some serpent power that brings you to God consciousness. It's connecting with God by loving him and calling on the name that is the true name of God. Call on the name of Jesus. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when I called on the name of Jesus and I was spiritually reborn when the Holy Spirit came into me, I didn't have to do it in a sing-song, monotone way for five hours before God visited me. It was within two or three minutes. And just out of my heart, I said, Jesus, if you're there and if you died on the cross for my sins— if you truly are the Savior of the world, and if you're the way to heaven, then come into my heart right now. It wasn't a planned script. It was heartfelt words. Even Mahatma Gandhi said, it is better in prayer to have a heart without words than words without a heart. 
it's better to just stand there and be in awe of God or kneel there and be in awe of God or be prostrate on, on the floor and be in awe of God, wordless, than to have words without a heart, which is what mantras often become, or as far as I'm concerned, they always become. Yes, I love to prayerfully and gratefully dwell on the miraculous things God has done in my life and also on the wonder of knowing his correct name. Malachi 3 verse 16 says it this way, Then those who feared the Lord spoke often to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. So God is cognizant. God is very aware of those who are meditating on his name. And the Lord listens. He hears them. And the scripture says a book of remembrance is written before him. So he takes all of that into account and he remembers. Praise God. Years ago, I met the head of the Krishna consciousness movement here in the United States of America. In fact, I was at their temple in Los Angeles. And he was a gracious person that talked with me, and I shared with him for a little while. I wanted to build a relationship and enter into some kind of dialogue so that I could share Jesus with him. And while I was there, I happened to look in the temple, and the people inside were chanting over and over and over and over again the same words in a very monotone way. And I, my heart broke for them because I thought they're so desperate. They're so hungry. They're so desirous of a relationship with God, but they're doing it so wrong. Because see, in the Krishna consciousness movement, they teach that you're supposed to say what is called the Maha Mantra. That's the mantra where you repeat the name Hare Krishna in a certain sing-song way. You're supposed to do it 108 times, 16 times a day. In fact, there's something called a mala, which is like a rosary. It's beads, 108 beads, that you count while you repeat this mahamantra, where you say the name Hare Krishna over and over again. And then you're supposed to do that 16 times a day which is a total of 1,728 times a day. And supposedly it takes chanting the Maha Mantra millions of times to attain moksha, which is release from the cycle of rebirths. That's not how you do it. You don't earn deliverance by chanting a certain number of times in a mindless kind of way. You receive. You don't achieve, you receive the gift of eternal life when you connect with the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. I'm going to end this session with Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Jesus said, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. It's not important how many times you log a certain mantra. That doesn't earn you spiritual points that finally rack up enough of a total where you can somehow escape being born into this world over and over again. There's only one life. And after this life, you'll spend eternity in heaven with a personal God if you've surrendered your life to him 
in this life. And I urge you to do that. Listen, for those listening to this podcast, I have an offer that I want to share with you. It is a free book written by Vale Carruth. It's a wonderful book. It's called Authentic Enlightenment. She was one of the first teachers of transcendental meditation in this country. She, along with some others in that day, way back in the day, out in California, studied under Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. She was very intensely devoted to transcendental meditation. Then she had an incredible encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you will call my office, 423-478-2843, between the hours of 9.30 in the morning and 5 o'clock at night, Eastern Standard Time, that book is yours for free. All you have to pay is the shipping charges. Uh, The book itself is free. It's a gift that we want to give to you. And while you're on our website, thetruelight.net, you should check out books written by others who spent many years meditating, trying to find God through that means. Faith Collier was one of the leaders in the International Society for Krishna Consciousness way back in the day, and she found Jesus and wrote a fantastic book called Home at Last. Prima Pelletier is a former Hindu who wrote the book From Cows and Cobras to the Cross of Christ. She was raised in a Hindu temple. She was raised around those who meditated. Her grandfather would stand on one leg, motionless for hours, meditating, trying to achieve God consciousness. And yet she found Jesus. In fact, she met him at an early age. He visited her twice in a dream. So there's much on the website that is available to you that will answer your questions about this. In the next episode of Revealing the True Light, I'm actually going to explore some of the methods used in different religions in meditation. And I'm going to cover Buddhism and Hinduism, Umbanda Spiritism, and contemplative prayer movements within the rank of Christianity. And I believe we're going to cover some very important territory. I'll talk about yantra meditation, chakra meditation, mantra meditation, sound meditation, and various means and methods. The entry-level meditation is called breath meditation. There's a lot more to learn and a lot more I need to share But I need to sign off on this episode and wait till next week to continue this exploration, this examination of meditation techniques. Are they right or are they wrong? And remember, let me end with it again. If meditation techniques are mechanical, mindless, monotonous, mundane, magical, or even overly mystical, they are probably not the proper approach. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.